In a moment, I'm going to get into this week's episode, but first, we need to thank our sponsor, Luke and Tim Make a Movie Podcast. Have you ever dreamed of making a movie, but you don't know where to start or how to make it happen? Luke McWilliams and Big Tim Styles are two Aussie mates on their quest to, well, make a movie. Luke and Tim Make a Movie navigates the path of becoming a filmmaker, from writing your first script to finishing a film and beyond. And they want you to join their journey and even make your own movie along the way. Luke and Tim Make a Movie is a punk rock approach to DIY movie making. They're not waiting for anyone's permission anymore. Luke and Tim are going to do it themselves. Luke and Tim Make a Movie can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any podcast catchers. A link will be provided in this episode's description. of Strange Places. I'm your host, Billy Dean Shoemate III. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor and DistroKid. Also, this week's sponsor, the sponsor, and plural, sponsors. Because when I record this, I don't know how many is going to jump on board. So if any do, it's brought to you by them as well, isn't it? So we're going to, yeah, this one's going to be interesting. Getting back to the paranormal this week. Where are we traveling? El Paso County, Colorado. We'll tell you why this is so important, why this place is particularly odd, one that I've wanted to talk about for a while. Now, picture for a moment, okay, your idea of a haunted house. Is it some imposing old mansion, once grand, but now reduced to a moldering wreck? Does it sit atop a hill, beyond high walls and wrought iron gates? Are there gargoyles on the terraces, dead ivy on the walls? Do skeletal trees decorate the overgrown lawn? Are the skies above laden and foreboding? These are probably the you know images that most of us will form in our minds. Now, put all those ideas out of your head like I had to, because the haunted house we're about to visit looks absolutely nothing like that at all. Kind of messes with your head. El Paso County, Colorado. If you're wondering where that is, it's close to Colorado Springs, but it's like a world away from the big city. It's in a region and a, a lot of natural beauty from what I noticed. 192,000 acre alpine forest decorated by ponderosa pines, mountain peaks as a backdrop. I mean, the place is gorgeous. The area is very sparsely populated. It's kind of known for its laid back lifestyle a lot of people, as far as my research on the place itself goes, they always talk about the air, how crisp the mountain air is, breathtaking vistas. I mean, this is a dream destination for nature lovers, those looking to escape the bustle of modern life, right? But it was in this latter motivation that attracted Stephen and Beth Lee. The Louisiana natives had lived in the area for four years before deciding to buy a place of their own. The property they eventually opted for, it was attractive. It was a secluded two-story log cabin sitting on five acres of land in the tiny, unincorporated community of the famous Black Forest. Even better was the price, which seemed an incredible bargain. 
When an inspection of the home turned up no structural issues, the Lees immediately put in an offer. They were delighted when it was accepted. It seemed inexplicable, you know, that anyone would give up this little slice of heaven. Log cabin in the middle of the Black Forest? Awesome. Perhaps they should have heeded the old saying, right? <laughs> it's something we've learned on this podcast many times. If something's too good to be true, probably is. The trouble with the Lee's new home started almost immediately after they moved in. It started with their two young sons. They complained about strange lights that appeared in their rooms, about how menacing figures lurked in the shadows. These kinds of fears, you know, are, are not uncommon, of course. They're variations of the old monster-under-the-bed thing expressed by kids all over the world. Stephen and Beth told the boys that there was no such thing as the boogeyman, and, you know, they left a nightlight on by their beds as any parent would. But then the same strange phenomena started appearing in other parts of the house. Oh, yes. Floating spheres of light in the master bedroom. An odd glow in the forest, thumps on the walls and the roof, chains rattling, doors that opened and slammed shut on their own, loud classical music that seemed to come out of nowhere and then suddenly stop. Even more troubling was the chemical odor that sometimes pervaded the house. Interesting. I'm going to make a note of that. It got so overpowering sometimes that it stung the eyes and nostrils of everybody, anybody even in the vicinity of it. After that, I mean, Stephen made some discreet inquiries. Were there any industrial plants in the area that might be the source of the stench? I wondered that myself. Turned out, zilch. And that's what he found out, too. Nothing. As far as that theory goes. The Lee family, see, they would endure these occurrences for months. Months. During that time, they searched the house top to bottom looking for some rational explanation. They found nothing to explain what was going on. A less resilient family may have thrown in the towel at that point. Hell, I, <laughs> at that point, I probably would have. Might perhaps have tried to leave the house, you know, sale rescinded for lack of disclosure, right? That's what I would do. The previous owner would confirm that he'd had similar experiences, but he had said nothing for fear of being ridiculed. See, I would, I would play that angle. However, Stephen, he wasn't convinced that anything paranormal was going on here. He believed that the explanation was very, very human. Somebody was trying to scare them off the land. Stephen purchased, from what I see here at the time, state-of-the-art video surveillance system and installed cameras both inside and outside. The footage that it captured only deepened Everything. Unexplained orbs and streaks of light appeared on film, floating in the air with no source. Even more frighteningly, there were spectral human figures walking the halls in the darkness. In other frames, discernible faces appeared, entirely disembodied. We're going to have to look these up in a minute. Floating in this weird kind of translucent, translucent swirl, like almost some kind of freaky looking vortex or something. As for the outside cameras, these captured the outlines of animals beyond the tree line, all of them glowing with this weird, unearthly light. Even the most rational among us, right, would have been perplexed by now, maybe even to the point of fright. But not Stephen. No, Stephen Lee, 
He believed that this was a technical issue. The cameras had malfunctioned or perhaps the film was damaged. He therefore switched out the equipment, tried a different brand of film. I'm wondering something. While I'm talking about this, I want to pull something up here. There's a there's a couple things that I'm looking at in my... Because I, I feverishly do research. Like, uh, you know, I got to bust these out every week. And I got to know... I got to know my stuff, but I have to save a lot, you know, for when we're actually sitting down recording the show. So I want to have a pretty damn good base knowledge of it. But, you know, naturally, I want to purposely leave stuff, some stuff out for when we're actually doing the show. I think that's interesting about Strange Places is that we there's parts of it where I'm learning this right. Some of the stuff right along with you. So I'm going to make a little note here. Something perked my ears up. Little sentence that I found in my notes here. Now, the footage, I want to get to that. He switched out the equipment, right? Tried a different brand of film. The result was the same. And then Stephen decided to install motion detectors around the house, trying to catch the perpetrators in these pranks you know, in the act. He would have to disconnect them again within just a few days. The alarm kept being triggered with no one and nothing in the vicinity. Crazy. It was time to escalate this to the authorities. The complaint that Stephen Lee made with the El Paso County Sheriff's Department was for trespassing. See, he was convinced that there was some prankster was doing this either as a joke or for more you know, nefarious purposes. Now, what I didn't mention a second ago, this is 1991 that this is happening. And I'm talking about outside cameras, motion detectors. Yeah, this stuff was around in 1991, but it wasn't cheap. Doesn't that make you think for just a second? It made me think. I'm like, how much money did they save on this house, right? The stuff wasn't cheap. So I'm thinking, how much money did they have extra? Like, how much money did they save that they're able to up and buy this stuff? They, from For all, you know, all accounts of things that I'm researching, they weren't crazy well off. It's... Uh, Pretty alarming. I mean, that there must have been something really significant here for him to run out and buy all of this back then, really expensive equipment. See, the complaint that he made with the El Paso County Sheriff's Department, you know, well, like I said, was for trespassing. Thought it was some prankster. Over the next two years, officers responded to over 40 calls, man, 40 from the Lee property on each occasion, finding no evidence that a crime had even been committed. Eventually, they came to regard Stephen as some kind of a paranoid kook and started ignoring his calls. Stephen then hired a PI, private investigator, hoping that he would have more success catching the culprit than the police had. So by now, <laughs> I pulled up, uh, let me see something. I want to get more of an amount here. Okay. I made some notes, but I want to adjust it just a little bit. Okay, so my final estimate. I had to cut there for a second. I wanted to do a little bit of math. My final estimate on all this, 1991, but it's over, you know, the next two years. So 1993, 94-ish. He spent over $40,000 on surveillance equipment. Forty grand. That would buy you a house back in that time. You know what I mean? But you have something that awesome. You have a you know a, a house that beautiful, Black Forest area, Colorado. You don't want to get rid of it. I don't blame Stephen for wanting to you know set it out. I don't blame him for that. 
Can I get some pictures of this place? What does it look like? Oh, it's gorgeous. Wow, this thing is pretty. Man. When I th you know, when you think log cabin, I, I, I don't know what goes on in your head, but whenever I think log cabin, something just happens to my brain. I think of, you know, something that Abraham Lincoln probably grew up in. <laughs> I don't know if you do that, but I certainly do. Totally forget that log cabins can be just as modern as any other house. This thing is gorgeous. Two-car garage, two-floor. I mean, it's beautiful. Stone foundation. Man, pretty. Steven, I don't blame him. But forty grand, that would have bought you a house back then. That's, uh, you know, st sticking to your guns, not wanting to leave. He emptied his savings account, emptied it to pay for the investigator for other expenses related to these unwanted visitations. He wouldn't go nowhere. It appeared that he wasted his money. Why? Because the PI didn't find squat. Stephen Lee, he's just, he was described to his friends, family as a practical kind of guy. And this was very out of character for him. He was a dogged man who was fond of saying that he still had a little bit of redneck stubbornness in him. That, that, that ain't no lie. The 34-year-old trucker was devoted to his family. He would do anything to protect them. He was not leaving. Thus far, his efforts had come up completely empty. Perhaps he figured it was time for a different approach. It was for this reason that Stephen eventually agreed to his wife's suggestion that they should reach out to the producers of Sightings. Now, if you grew up in the 1990s, please tell me you remember this show. <laughs> this is where I got most of my info. 1990s TV series, remember? Was, what was it on the Sci-Fi Channel, something like that? It explored the super... When Sci-Fi Channel was called the Sci-Fi Channel, it explored supernatural, unexplained phenomenon, very unsolved mysteries kind of thing. But it just focused on the paranormal. Sightings. It was a killer show. Loved it. Kept me up a few nights as a kid. <laughs> Some of the stories that they uh, talked about. Some of that stuff was pretty scary. The call was made in 1995. By that time, the family had already endured four years of this. After approval by the show's producers, a crew arrived at the Lee residence for filming. Included in their number was a well-known psychic named Echo Bodine. Echo Bodine immediately stated that there was a strong concentration of spiritual energy in the house. There are at least 20 entities residing here, Bodine said, and one of them in particular is powerful and malevolent. Interesting. They all kind of say that, don't they? <laughs> I mean, have you noticed? With the really crazy haunted places... I know that psychic phenomena is a thing. I know that there are people out there who are sensitive to more things than the average bear. But I don't know. There's just something that bugs me when they bring a psychic into a house and they're just walking around saying all of these, you know what I mean? Black and white, matter of fact statements. And my brain just doesn't work that way. They may very truly be picking this stuff up and know it for sure. But when I don't see any meat and potatoes and you're walking around making definitive statements like that, it kind of bothers me. And I tend to not go with what these haunted place psychics say. I'm not saying what they're doing is not of merit. I'm just saying, you know, here on this show, me the kind of guy I am. Show me the money. You know what I mean? 
It's still interesting, though. The idea of paranormal phenomena is something that sharply divides people. I know this. There are true believers and naysayers, disciples, skeptics, but even the most cynical of deniers can dispute the inexplicable, inexplicable issues they, that seem to plague this episode on sightings. I don't know if this episode's still around, but apparently it's pretty compelling. I don't remember seeing it as a kid. But apparently on this episode of sightings, while they were filming this thing, they had mechanical failures, electromagnetic interference, cameras, tripods, light stands would fall over for ob- no obvious cause while filming. And apparently they kept a lot of that in the episode, too. They got some crap for that because people wrote in and said it was staged. Apparently it wasn't. There were also personnel issues. At one point during the production, a crew member collapsed in a state of apparent paralysis and had to be carried outside. Once there, she started to cry and shake uncontrollably. She said that something had jumped into her. Fucking weird. In fact, the shooting of that initial episode, it made such an impression on the sightings team that the show actually came back within six months for a follow-up. This time, a psychic named Peter James accompanied the crew. Like Echo Bodine before him, James claimed that he felt powerful psychic energy in the house, the magnitude of which he had never experienced before. I'm just telling you what he said. Like I said, I don't take what these haunted place psychics say really, but, you know, just giving you the whole thing. According to James, most of this energy was focused on a 100-year-old mirror in the master bedroom. He speculated that this might be some kind of a vortex connecting the physical and spiritual worlds. Now, it's easy to scoff at such an outlandish proclamation, right? However, when the sightings crew examined stills of the mirror, they noticed something really, really weird. Ghostly faces could be made out in the photographs as if it was faces pressed against a mirror, but the other side of the mirror. Now, I've seen photos. I mean, if you do enough Google searching, you'll find photos for mostly everything we talk about here. I've seen the photos of the mirror. Yeah, they're spooky looking. There's lights flying around, you know. It's a black and white photograph. I have no idea why. We were perfectly capable of color photos back in the 90s. I don't know why it's in black and white. Maybe it was a dark area. Maybe they had to use black and white because um, (laughs) I am from an era when... I attended my photography classes and we actually had to develop the film. I actually preferred to shoot in black and white because it was way more sensitive to things like aperture and f-stop, way more so than with color film. Back in the 90s, they're still using film. I can kind of get why they're using black and white in a low-light environment like that. It's a spooky picture. And I didn't see anything right away. You really zoom in on those photos of that mirror. And you do see faces. I see them. But something's off. Not just because... I'm not saying that they look ghostly or whatever. Now, you know I can't prove this. But I see faces in the mirror in the upper right. And it's these... It looks like three people. Definitely two. Possibly three people. With bright glowing eyes. And you can kind of make it out. It's there. Once you look around and you see it, you can't unsee it. You know, one of those things. 
The other photos of the mirror show bizarre lights swirling around and, you know, stuff like that. But it's, <laughs> I yeah, I can see the faces. But there's just something that's, this is something that bugs me about paranormal stuff. UFO photos in particular. Your brain wants to say, no, this is too good, right? When a UFO photo is way too clear, this is the problem inherent with UFO study. If a UFO photo is way too clear, people are going to be like, oh, come on, that's fake. And your brain immediately wants to do that. Oh, come on, that can't be real. And if you see one that's too shitty, you know, you see this grainy piece of crap, you're like, oh, come on, that ain't real. Give me a break. You know, they're trying to cover something up. Right? There's no middle ground there. But this photo is kind of doing that for me. It looks almost too good. And the glowing eyes and stuff like that, it's just, it's, it's weird. Now, I, that's why I think that this phenomenon that occurs when we study photographs of stuff like this, it's funny because I've never seen a UFO in broad daylight. I've never taken a photo of one. I don't know what kind of atmospheric effects it has. I don't know what kind of effect it has on film, digital, nothing. I've never taken a photo of one in broad daylight. I've never taken one at night either. <laughs> but I do emphasize broad daylight. Maybe I'll tell you this that story sometime on this show. But I've never taken a ghost photograph. I've never taken photos in a haunted place. Indoors, anyway. I, we did a ghost hunt, me and my buddies, one time at a cemetery. But I've never taken, you know, because... Yeah, it, it was fun, but I've never, I'm, I'm no expert in ghost photos. But my brain still looks at this and says, oh, this is bullshit. Why do I not just completely write this off? I think it's because instinct is pretty important. You can't rely 100% on it because you might be wrong. But when something's screaming out at you, something ain't right, and it's not paranormal. These photos look a little not paranormal. But then again, right, how do we know that? Because I know I'm not experienced in this. It's this weird kind of gray area. So really all I can do is just present that evidence. Yes, there are faces in the mirror photo. They got bright glowing eyes. It's just, I don't know, something about it looks kind of wonky. Peter James, you know, the psychic. He would also pay a physical price for his visitation to the Lee house. Shortly after filming Wrapped, he woke up one day to find a painful welt on his forehead. A visit to the doctor and even a CAT scan produced no explanation for this injury. However, when the psychic went over the pictures taken at the Lee house, he uncovered a weird anomaly. In one of the pictures, there's appears, yeah, there appears to be what's described as a dagger of light. This is pointed directly at James's forehead at the exact spot where the welt later formed. That's very intriguing because I've seen that photo as well. And yeah, it does look like this spear made of light making contact with his head. But we don't have photos of him afterwards, of him taking a picture of the wound. I can't find any photos of this. You know, I'm not calling him a liar. I'm just saying we can't confirm that he had a welt on his head in that exact spot. But yeah, the spear photo, pretty weird. It's freaky looking. The Sightings episode featuring the Lee property aired on October 1995. It would gain the house infamy. Even Colorado Senator Charles Duke was intrigued and visited in 1996, believe it or not. 
Duke arrived as a strong skeptic and left with a far nuanced view. He said, and I quote, There are certainly some anomalies that don't belong there. He said in an interview, I'm not a believer yet, but there is certainly something going on there at that house. There's something unusual, no doubt about it. Quote, A photograph of the senator taking that visit shows a ghostly dog standing beside him. According to the Lee family, the dog strongly resembles a family pet who died 10 years earlier. Now, I haven't seen this photo yet. Uh, yeah, let me uh, let me cut real quick, see if I can find this thing. That would be interesting to see. Because I wonder if it's going to make my intuition just go, eh, something's off here, you know, <laughs> not in a paranormal way. But like I said, catch 22, right? I've never taken ghost photos before. How the hell do I know? It's just that weird kind of thing that's built into your mind, right? Still, I'm intrigued to see it. Well, I had to cut there. I cannot find this photo. <laughs> I can't find it anywhere. I even tried to track down, like really tried to track down the uh, sightings episode. I found an IMDB kind of blurb about it, but apparently sightings did not go down in history as well as Unsolved Mysteries did. You can get every episode in its entirety on YouTube. Pretty cool. But sightings? No. <laughs> uh I mean, you might be able to find it online somewhere, but you got to do some serious digging. I just cut for a good hour and a half. Couldn't find anything. So, yeah, it's just that's <laughs> kind of a wash there. I wish I could have found that whole episode. But uh, I do see that it was filmed. It was a thing. So getting back to, see, uh, there was another skeptic who visited the site. He was, uh, uh, I got to mention him, electromagnetics expert, Bill Gibbons. Gibbons arrived with a truckload of equipment aimed at debunking the haunting. He came away a believer, man. He said, I saw spectacular light shows that could not be seen with the naked eye. Then how'd you see it? <laughs> Listen to this. I saw spectacular light shows that could not be seen with the naked eye. Well, if you can't see it with the naked eye, how'd you see it? There's an extremely active site. There's nothing that Steve or his wife are doing to cause this. Similar responses have come from other skeptics and debunkers who have visited the Lee house. All of them have come away perplexed and conflicted by what they experienced. Perhaps they should look to local legend for answers. I always do. I always have a saying. If you want to find out something weird that's happening in a certain area, not definitively, but I think where to start your foundation, go find the uh, the oldest representative from the oldest culture in that area because their stories have been passed down since day one and they're usually passed down very, very carefully. It's not a game of telephone. These are their beliefs, right? So they're a lot more careful in the things that they pass down. It's very serious. So, um, you know, this, this ain't a joke. I'm just like that. If you want to find out anything or have a good foundation, any place to start about any local legend, anything like that, go find the oldest civilization living in that area, the oldest peoples living in that area, and then talk to the oldest person in that group, which is smart. That's what they did. Good. I'm glad somebody finally did that in one of these instances. They talked to a Hopi shaman. The Black Forest is a spirit ground, he says, and the Lee House is located on the site of a rainbow vortex, a portal between the worlds of the living and the dead. 
And this isn't just something the Hopi shaman said. This is a legend that goes back a long time. But many remain skeptical of this and other paranormal explanations. Perhaps surprisingly, the biggest skeptic is Stephen Lee himself. Even in the face of these unexplained phenomena, Stephen insists that there is a natural explanation. He believes that his family has been targeted by some shady government department that's using them as guinea pigs to test biological something, psychic warfare, mind control. According to Stephen, he frequently spotted black-clad men prowling the woods outside the house. He's even gone as far as to making, this is interesting, okay, made a complaint to the freaking FBI. They have so far declined to investigate or even comment about this, but they did comment once. Sightings actually got (laughs) the FBI to make a blurb. Amazing, huh? The FBI said there's no evidence that a federal crime has been committed. The real explanation behind the Lee House phenomena remains a baffling mystery, defying explanation. Is this really a portal into the netherworld? Is it a lightning rod for restless spirits? Is the Lee family being targeted by some sinister government program? Who the hell knows? In any case, the Lee property continues to throw up bizarre apparitions, weird lights, unexplained sounds and smells. It's a hot spot for paranormal activity even today. What intrigues me is them contacting the FBI. I wonder... This gets my brain kind of going. They moved there in 91, right? I wonder if there was any kind of anything else, any reports of anything weird government going on around that time. And I think I have a way to find out. Hmm. And this is going to take a while, so I may have to cut again. But, you know, this is just one part of my process of elimination. I want to see if anybody else was seeing any kind of MIBs around, any weird government-y kind of stuff. Because we know that there are entities that work in our government, what have you, that are very interested in this kind of stuff for whatever reason. And I don't need to throw up a bunch of examples for you. Research Skinwalker Ranch for more than 10 seconds and you'll figure it out. They hired scientists to go basically live at that place, turning turning it into a you know, a live laboratory. They wanted to study this because it's one of the most hot spotty places on earth. Skinwalker Ranch is still closed to the public. Now it's been bought by independent scientists and government-backed scientists. They study this stuff. Why wouldn't you? They're kind of hush-hush about it, but it's kind of silly, wouldn't you? I'm not back. <laughs> I'm not, uh, what am I saying? I'm not a uh, batting on the government side here. But you got to look at things from both ways. I wonder if there's any other people saying anything similar in this area at all. Let's find out. Around that time, right? Let's find out if anything pops up. If anything is, you know, if anything gets thrown up at me. Granted, if I look long enough, I'll find something. But here's what I've learned doing this show as long as we have. If I have to hunt my ass off to find any kind of link, I mean, if I really have to Sherlock Holmes it and stay up for two days to find any kind of link from one from A to B, there is no link. You look long enough, you probably will find something, either either in your exhaustion-pitched brain or whatever. 
there's a sweet spot where if there really is a link, it's going to jump out at you. Let's see if we can find that. Honestly, okay. <laughs> I hate having the cut on the show, but this one required some major, major research. I don't like cutting, but I've had to do it twice on this one so far. But I see nothing. Nothing that really jumps out at me. Nothing that was kind of happening at the same time. No major MIB sightings or weird government kind of things. No supposed happenings. No conspiracies around the area at the time. Nothing jumped out at me. Sweet spot, gone. I'd have to search for days. <laughs> Which, granted, if, if I search for days, probably ain't nothing. But there's one thing that's kind of weird about this whole thing. I went the Hopi Native American angle. And I looked up some of their legends regarding Black Hills. And there are legends that go back hundreds, hundreds of years that obviously predate Stephen Lee and his wife, that predate this cabin, right? Predate this town. That are describing exactly what Stephen Lee and his wife, guests, psychics, sightings, were seeing and feeling. The Hopi Indians have been saying for hundreds of years that this place is a thin spot. You heard the analogy about the medicine ball, right? Reality is a medicine ball. Some pieces of it, some parts of it get handled more than others, and some parts are kind of starting to wear through. This is one of those places, according to them. They called it a rainbow vortex. This is one of those places where it's just kind of thin. The veil between living and dead, those two worlds. But even down to... The smells of the dead. Yeah. Even the weird smells were being reported by the Hopi for hundreds of years. I tried to go the route of, okay, is this some kind of natural phenomenon? I, I, the smells have a lot to do with it because we ended up debunking a case because we found out that the smell was coming from natural gas. Natural gas can cause anxiety, hallucinations, right? It can fuck with film and make people think that they're taking pictures of ghosts. We've seen that before, proved it, and debunked it. We don't have any major natural gas issues happening in this neighborhood at the time. But we do have concentrations, high concentrations, of natural gas in that area. Could it be something like that? Maybe in that area, there's just a high concentration of uh, natural gas that seeps out from the you know, whatever. Possibly. Making people hallucinate could be. But we have physical manifestations of stuff. People getting hit, even to this day, shoved, knocked over. Pretty weird. I'm not seeing proof one way or the other. So obviously, this one does require some further study, right? But it's a bizarre place. All the pictures that I see I'm pulling up here, people are seeing orbs, which in my opinion is just dust floating around, <laughs> floating around the camera. There's dust floating around that we can't see with our bare eyes. Cameras can pick it up pretty damn good. I went out to a place that was known to be haunted and a place that is <laughs> not haunted in the slightest. And I've drawn my own tests on what these flying orbs, photographic orbs, are. It's dust, man, I'm telling you. Dust motes flying around in the air. That's what it is. Particles in the air. It's not paranormal. 
If you want to see my own personal studies with it, yeah, I, I proved it. It's not anything paranormal, orbs or not. Orbs I don't buy because I've done experiments on them myself. Dust motes in the air, particles floating through the air. Cameras can pick that shit up really well, even digital cameras. But I, gotta, I digress. This one goes so far beyond being able to prove. We don't have anything one way or the other. And every time I think I have a shred of, I might be able to do something here. Can't find squat. We have legends that go back hundreds of years that are describing the same exact things that people still experience to this day. Are haunted places real? Is that a thing? Oh, you bet your ass. Is this one real? Jury's still out. Anyway, if you think I left something out, some crucial piece of evidence that could have blown this whole thing up, just let me know. Go on Asylum817.com. That's Asylum817.com for all things Strange Places related. All the social media links are there, as well as the link to get to our Patreon account, where you can get everything from bonus episodes, giveaways at certain tiers, all kinds of stuff, man. Check it out. Shout out to the patrons, by the way, the Kunkel Homestead YouTube channel, Donald Haynes, David Peterson, the show would not be around if it wasn't for you guys. I appreciate you. Thanks for coming back every week, and we'll see you on the next one, all right? Now, will we ever run out of strange places to talk about? I don't think so. Because every town has a strange place, and maybe one day, we'll visit yours. Have you ever wondered, are heroes born or are they made? Begin the journey with Tales of Atonement, an upcoming YouTube show, an engaging fairy tale with a modern take. It is a fantasy sci-fi family saga with slice-of-life aspects, epic storyline, professional voice actors, and an engaging, involved plot. Episode 1 is all about the main character and his twin brother meeting a new family of refugee English to their sleepy Scottish town. That's all I'm going to give you for now. A trailer for the project is out now on YouTube, and I'll be providing a link to the channel in this episode's notes. I was hired to do an ad for this project, and usually people will send me a script, some notes or what have you, but I have been sent a full book this project is based on test animatics, concept art, and I gotta tell you, I am psyched to see this. Believe you me, I am excited about what I've seen so far, so make sure to check it out for yourself. Trust me when I say this is gonna be one epic journey. Tales of Atonement coming soon. Thanks for being sponsors of Asylum 817 Productions. <laughs>